What's up, beautiful people? Welcome to Efadza Productions Podcast, a place to engage in conversations that will help you create a legacy, empower yourself and others, and most importantly, to grow your empire. My name is Ropa Fadza Mungwari, and today I want to come here and talk to you about something that is extremely important to me, which is the country of Zimbabwe. So let's get right into today's podcast. Some of you might not know right now or might not already know, but I am actually from Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe is a country that is at the southern side of Africa. Um, It's a landlocked country that is landlocked by South Africa, Mozambique, Botswana, and Zambia. It's a very beautiful country that, you know, has beautiful people. We have the highest literacy rate in Africa. Just an amazing country as a whole. But there's been so many things that have been going on. And initially, I was going to take a little bit of a break off social media and just be in a position where I can support my family back home and and support my friends who are back home still, who just needed the support. But I think it's important that with the platform that I have, I do educate people about what is going on in Zimbabwe. And so this podcast is basically just going to be talking about everything that's been going on and kind of giving my take on how I feel about everything and what I think we could be doing better to make sure that everybody has the same amount of opportunities or at least gets the same um chance to to get things done it's it's breaking my heart what we are seeing in Zimbabwe and so I'm just going to start by explaining what exactly is going on in Zimbabwe at the moment so Zimbabwe is currently um, experiencing a human rights crisis uh, basically the military and the police are arresting um, activists and journalists students anybody who is in opposition to what the government is saying at the moment. And they are putting people in jails. They are um, raping people and like just doing the absolute most. Basically, um, to give everybody a little bit of a background about what Zimbabwe is, I'm sorry, I'm going to be hopping back and forth a lot in this podcast because there's just so much I want to talk about. And I want to make sure I cover as much as I can and not make this podcast too long. So a brief history about Zimbabwe is we were actually initially colonized by the British for many years. And then we fought the first and the second Chimurenga War. And the second one, we actually won and came up with some kind of arrangement with um the UK, where um, we got our independence back, essentially. And so when we did get our independence, we uh, elected our first official president, who was uh, Robert Mugabe. He ruled um, as president for from two, from 1998 to 2017, if I'm not wrong. Um, and basically, initially, it felt like, you know, They'd won the war. Everything was going well. Zimbabwe was called the breadbasket of Africa. We had amazing agriculture that was going on, tobacco, corn, um, sogum, you name it. We were farming it. We also have an amazing um, tourism sector. We have the Zambezi River, uh, Victoria Falls, Mount Inyangani, just amazing views, amazing tourism, 
great, great country to, to visit one day um, if you're interested in visiting a place with amazing waterfalls. Um, Niagara Falls ain't got nothing on Victoria Falls, darling. Like, we got the falls, okay? Um, and so um, we've had a bunch of elections before then, and um, Robert Mugabe was winning them, um, in quotations. Some of them, um, there was a lot of debate about the fairness of those elections, but the major... The two major parties in Zimbabwe are the ZANU-PF and the MDC. The ZANU-PF is the party that's been in power since independence. Um, and I, there would be the equivalent of a, like, a right-wing uh, political group. They would essentially be the conservatives. Um, if we were to put a, a Western name to it, they're like the conservatives, um, the conservative party. Then the MDC, at the time, initially, it was the MDCT, but I think there are now different uh, versions of the MDC, but the MDC is the other uh, main party. Um, and basically, that's, again, the equivalent of like a lefty, uh, a Democrat kind of party. They're more relaxed about things. They kind of want access to jobs and things like that, whereas um, the ZANU-PF is very much uh, about its veterans, the people who fought the war, um, the Chumurenga Wars, and just making sure that they have support and resources and all of that stuff. So that's a bit of a brief history about uh, life before the president that we have now. And then in 2017, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm wrong, I'll write it down in the... Uh, information section of this podcast but um in 2017 we had a military coup not coup um again i will link resources to why i'm calling it a coup not coup they said it wasn't a coup but uh it was almost a coup and basically mugabe was dethroned of his um position as president and uh emerson Mnangagwa became the acting president for a couple of months before the elections needed to happen. So the elections happened and um, basically everything felt like it was fine. Like people were excited that finally this guy who's been a dictator for many, many years is leaving. We have a fresh face. Now bear in mind, Emerson Mnangagwe had been um, Robert Mugabe's uh, vice for many years until he uh, got fired for reasons that are unclear. And that's part of the thing that sparked the coup by the military. So if you are interested in knowing a little bit more about all these histories and all of that stuff, I can always link more information down below. But again, I'm trying to make this as concise as possible. So I'm just giving you a bit of background information so that you know what happened, and I'm summarizing it just so that it gives you room to go and do research on your own. So Emerson Nagagwe then had elections and uh, won, and there were some controversies about the nature in which he won, but uh, eventually um, people just accepted that he'd won the election. I think it's been less than a year since the election has been done or maybe two years. It's not been three years for sure, but it's definitely been, I think, about a year um, since the his 
official election into the position. And then COVID hit, and it just seems like the government is using COVID as an excuse or an opportunity to um, silence people and basically punish people who don't agree with what they are saying. So that brings us to July 31st. Today is August the 4th, so it's been a couple of days. I wanted to digest everything and make sure I was coming in and giving a, a, an opinion that was my own and giving um, an unemotional opinion because I didn't want to end up saying something that I wasn't true to the uh, platform that I have because I was speaking out of emotion. So it's been a couple of days. I've, it's allowed me to kind of just read through, understand, speak to my family, and, and actually find out what's been going on on the ground. So on July 31st, um, there was a protest that happened um, in Zimbabwe. And basically, um, activists were arrested and brutalized by the police. Um, and basically, people who had been to the protests were thrown into jail. People, they were like in restaurants and were thrown into, like picked up by the police and thrown into jail. Some were released on bail like a couple of days later or the day after, but they were beaten people died there were shots that were fired into crowds and unfortunately people lost their lives and it's just reached a point where like in Zimbabwe whenever there's a protest you know that people are going to die you know that people are going to be beaten and it's it's not normal that's not what it it should be that's not what it should be in any country that it has you know that says it's got good laws that are there to govern and protect the people and so this is what brings us to today basically um anybody who's protesting is being silenced um the government and the president are in, are essentially using COVID-19 um, lockdown to justify why they have military on the ground killing civilians. And they're basically saying that um, they're going against COVID-19 uh, regulations. They're saying that uh, we've made it clear that if you go outside during a certain amount of time, you shouldn't be in public gatherings with a lot of people. So what we're doing is to pro we're protecting the citizens. That's the excuse that they're giving right now. And I'm sorry, that's actual bollocks. I'm sorry. So um, in addition to economic and political struggles, Zimbabwe is facing a food and health crisis as well. And that's part of the reason why um, they were protests to begin with um so basically i'm going to give you like a reason why um these protests are happening i actually have an article that i'm reading most of this stuff from some of it most of the history part is from my brain because i'm really interested in zimbabwean history like that but a lot of uh what's happening and why it's happening 
I'm going to be reading from this article that I have. And again, I will link all of the information um, in the information section just so that you have access to it if you're interested in finding out. So it says um, Zimbabweans are protesting government leadership, corruption and economic mismanagement. Protesters are calling for political and economic stability, um, end of state corruption, new leadership, um, intervention from external entities to stop human rights violations and support from the African Union, from South Africa, from the Southern African Development Committee, and um, a political overhaul to instate to instate democracy and end the one-party majority for the ZANU-PF. So basically, I'll start with the political and economic stability. Basically, what's been happening in Zimbabwe, I'll start with uh, the economic instability because I know a lot more about that than I do the political instability. In terms of the economic instability section of things, we don't have our own currency, and I think that's a major part of why there's so much instability within our country. For those of you who don't know, Zimbabwe actually has been using a lot of foreign currency for the last couple of years. If I'm not mistaken, it's been since 2008. We've been using the U.S. dollar, the rand, the yen, uh, <laughs> the pound, whatever kind of foreign currency you can put your hand on, uh, we've been able to use. But majority of the time, we've been using the U.S. dollar and the South African rand. So um, a couple of years ago, I'm not going to give specific dates because everything's become a blur to me. And a lot of this stuff is just coming from the top of my head. But a couple of years ago, they actually um, brought in what they're calling the bond note. And it's essentially what I call the equivalent of monopoly money. It cannot be used outside of Zimbabwe, um, and it's just to, it was to ease uh, cash shortages within the country. That, for me, I felt like was not necessarily the best way to do things, just even just from a basic first-year um, macro-microeconomics point of view, but that's a discussion that I'm willing to have at a, a later point. But essentially, we don't have our own currency. And so as a result, a lot of countries are afraid to invest within Zimbabwe because there isn't a guarantee that the money will have the same value that it did today, um, next week, or a month from now, or a year from now. Um, another thing is that like even just being able to invest in the country, there are a lot of loopholes and a lot of things and hoops that you have to jump through to even be able to run a business within the country, which is ridiculous. And investing then just becomes very unattractive. I know um, the government at the moment has been saying Zimbabwe is open for business. We want to create um, new relationships. But the way that they've been running the country at the moment is deterring a lot of people from actually investing in the country, specifically um, the political uh, environment in Zimbabwe at the moment has been very tense. We initially thought, or at least I initially thought that um, 
you know, I wanted to really give the new um, presidency a chance to redeem himself. He has been part of the regime with Robert Mugabe, but I I wanted uh, to give an opportunity to be proven wrong. And I remember there's a podcast that I did initially that I ended up having to private. Um, I'll think about whether I want to put it back public. When we uh, had done the coup, not coup, and Robert Mugabe had essentially been thrown out of office. And I remember saying, I feel like we're celebrating too quickly. We're celebrating a victory that hasn't necessarily been won yet. And for us to really change we need to change everything. And I remember I got a lot of backlash from that podcast because people said I was being too negative. They were saying that I need to give people a chance to redeem themselves. They said that the problem was the the president at the time, Robert Mugabe. And I remember just thinking that like, we are not understanding that Robert Mugabe is one aspect of a whole committee of a whole community of people who are running the country like they're running a tuck shop it's not just one person and i i I say this even now with a little bit of just like (laughs) i apologize but offend some people but i don't think the current president right now is necessarily the problem on on his own Removing him and putting somebody else is really not fixing the problem. And that's controversial. And you can decide if you want to. Let's have a discussion down below. Let's be respectful. Um, I want to know what you think. But in my opinion, I think it's it's he's not the only one doing this madness. So cutting him off and removing him is step one. But... We need to be doing more than just saying we want him specifically out of power. But that's a whole nother discussion for another day. Um, that's the political and economic instability of the country. Uh, corruption. Listen, guys, we've got money that just disappears. I, I think what the main thing right now with COVID-19 is that there was actually money that was sent out for um, COVID relief that seems to have just disappeared no one's really benefited from it. Um, a lot of things were going to be given out. A lot of people were going to be helped out with a specific relief fund. And it just never really happened. But people are still not going to work. And they're still expected to pay their rent. And they're still expected to eat food and have, you know, electricity and water and I'm just I'm just like, how are people surviving? But those are my thoughts and I'll say them at the end. Um, yeah. And just the involvement of more, you know, external entities like the SADC, which is um, the Southern African Development Committee, South Africa, because it's like literally below us and they have a lot of power within Africa because they have one of the biggest economies in Africa and there's they seem to be doing really really well when you think of countries that are excelling within Africa a lot of people think South Africa they think um you know Uganda Kenya Tanzania um 
yeah so those that's that's why it's there was a need for the protests um a couple of days ago so from what i'm seeing there have been protests that have happened there was a protest that happened in january 2019 um the protests arose after fuel prices spiked um affecting rural and and poor communities and the Zimbabwean government basically shut down the internet for citizens and created a blackout. I remember this week specifically because I remember my parents were actually supposed to be coming here for a little bit. And I remember them just going, oh, yeah, things are not okay at home right now. You know, we'll figure something out and, and we'll, we'll talk about it. And I remember for about three or four days straight i just could not get a hold of anybody and even when you did it was like yeah you know let's just be careful we don't know whether our phone calls are being monitored there was just a lot of just uncertainty around what was happening and i remember during the, those protests as well so many people were killed so many people died and because there wasn't allowed to be any media coverage because of the uh, blackout with the internet. A lot of the deaths were played down um, by the government and it, it just became one of those, yeah, it's happened again and everybody moved on after some time. And then in May of 2020, citizens protested um, the inadequacy of the government's support during COVID-19. I remember this one as well, specifically um, uh, because there were doctors that went on strike because they were saying that there wasn't enough PPE for them for like for them to do their job in the hospital correctly. They didn't have enough equipment. They didn't have uh, protective gear, masks, uh, the body suits, lack of a better word. I'm not sure what they're called. And people were just saying, we can't work in these conditions. Like, it doesn't make sense for me to be coming to work to risk my life, and I don't have anything that's protecting me. And they weren't getting paid enough or some at all to compensate for the level of risk that they were putting their lives into, which was mad. And then in July, which is July 31st, um, activists were arrested and brutalized by police at an anti-corruption protest under the gaze of COVID-19 lockdown enforcement. Um, yeah, I just feel like we're reaching a point in Zimbabwe's um, life as a country where we're almost beginning to associate protests with mass incarcerations and and deaths of civilian bodies through police brutality. And for a country that fought for its freedom from people who were oppressing them to go and then receive the independence and essentially oppress the people who fought for freedom, I feel like for me is such a a difficult thing for me to understand. So that's crazy. And so some quick facts from this article are quick facts on Zimbabwe today. Inflation is incredibly high, estimated at 700%. 
700. I want you to just sit and just meditate on that number. 700. 700 percent. Wow. That's a wow. More than 60% of the country lives in poverty. 60%, you know. Bruh. Essential items like soap, medicine, gas, oil, and currency are in short supply. And like I mentioned before with the currency and how they then um, decided to create the bond notes, we still then had the problem of having shortages of money. And so they had the cap of you aren't able to take out of more than $100 out of your card, out of your bank account at a time, which is mad. And I can get into that in another day. Um, Hospital budgets are insufficient. Nurses and doctors are on strike because of low wages and no PPE. And I think doctors have been on strike for a while now because I remember even before COVID-19, there had been a protest with the doctors where they were saying, like they weren't getting paid anything. Doctors were saying like, listen, we've got bills to pay too. And the amount that we're making is not enough. Even teachers, I think at some point were protesting or at least were airing out their frustrations about the fact that they weren't getting paid enough uh, by the government. Um, and it was, it was a madness. So basically... What's happening now is that the Zimbabwean military and police are continuing to arrest activists and opposition members. The MDC, which is the uh, opposition party's members, have been arrested or uh, a lot of them have actually gone into hiding. Um, You have a lot of people who are seeking uh, asylum in a number of African countries and some have left Africa and have gone to seek asylum in a bunch of you know other um, countries around the world the police and military have vandalized their homes and harassed relatives of the activists I think that's the thing that scares me the most especially with even being in a place where I'm having this podcast I'm not at home at the moment, and I guess there's some kind of security because of that. But I do have family that still lives back home, and my worry is always to make sure that I'm not putting them in a position where they are um, at risk because of the things that I say. So I try to bring a, a clean version of what I want to say. I say what I need to say. But I also don't want to put my my family or my friends in a position where they are at the mercy of somebody else within the country. So, yeah, students and journalists are being arrested for using social media to spread awareness on Zimbabwe's economy and political struggles. Um, I'm going to say allegedly for all these things because... Obviously, I know they're not, but just for legal reasons and for protection reasons, allegedly the president, President Munangagwe, is increasing police and military presence, uh, supposedly for COVID nineteen lockdown enforcement, but is stifling protesters. Um, police and government are 
officials deny allegations of human rights abuse. They justify violence and arrests as precautions to stop revolts against the president and the government. And this is a trend that we see all the time. Whenever there's a protest, uh, in a lot of African countries, actually, I've, I've began to notice um I mean, if you want to look at a place like Rwanda, for example, you could go and do your own research. But a lot of African countries, whenever there are uh, protests, a lot of the times when they send out police and the army out onto the streets, it's always as a justification that they are rioting against, you know, the the government or uh, rioting against the president. And it's, and it's almost like it's, it ends up being said in a way to criminalize people's voices, which is a madness. People don't have access to food or, you know, basic health care, like things like houses. People are living in dilapidated housing. Some people don't even can't afford to live in the houses that they're living in right now. They haven't been paid, not even just like government workers, even private companies are not able to pay their employees anymore based on what's just been happening within the country, plus COVID-19. You have people who aren't able to pay for the houses that they're living in and then top it up with there's not enough like access to food or water, or electricity. Those are basic human needs that people are not having access to. And then add like salt to the wound. And I mean... I'm just going to go back and just say it's 60% of the country is living in poverty. Poverty, guys. 60%. That's more than half of the population of Zimbabwe. And if you look, we have amazing illiteracy rates. We do education until education don't want to be done no more. When I think of the number of Zimbabwean people who I have as my friends who have done like undergrads and masters and PhDs and still don't have jobs, I'm just like, how do you run a country where people will do school all the way up till they're 30 and they will not have access to jobs or internships or anything because the industry is whack? That just, it. It confuses me, beloved, and it annoys me so much because I just feel like there have just been excuses and excuses and more excuses. I was listening to a speech today that um, someone in the uh, government was making and they were talking about, oh, we have this plan. We've been working on this. You just need to be patient with us. And I was like, listen, there's a difference between people can be patient when they have access to food they have access to water, they have access to electricity. But you can't ask people to be patient with you when people don't have food on their table and people aren't dying from COVID-19, they're dying from starvation. You can't tell people to be patient with you when people don't have access to money that will give them access to food, that will give them access to being able to pay for water or being able to pay for electricity. You can't tell people to be patient when they don't even know if they do catch COVID-19, where they're going to go. Women are dying giving birth, not because of COVID-19, but because of the fact that there are no doctors. Doctors and nurses are on strike. 
These are real people with real dreams and real passions and intelligence and families and friends who don't get the same opportunities. Who you're asking to be patient with you. While your family and while your children are sitting pretty, living large and living their best lives. That's not fair. That's not fair. You can't expect people to be patient when it's a life and death situation from for them. It's different where, you know, people are at least covered. People know they have a job. They know they... Like, I know with COVID-19, like, job security is going to be crazy anyways. I understand that. But... Honor your words. If you're saying you're going to give people a relief package and having money as a relief package is something that's not even possible, be honest. Guys, the way our economy is set up right now, we can't afford this. What we can afford is this. And honor those words. I'm sick and tired of being over-promised things and it's under-delivered. I would rather have someone who is extremely you know, down and says, yo, listen, we don't have the money right now. We don't have the resources right now. We don't have the capacity right now. But this is what we're doing. I would rather that than be told, we're doing A, we're doing B, we've done this, we've done this. Meanwhile, on the ground, nobody who is supposed to be benefiting is benefiting from it. Not everybody has access to going and moving abroad when things go left in Zimbabwe. Not everybody has access to starting their own business. Not everybody has access to even, as it stands right now, to know that there's a guaranteed meal for tomorrow. I want you to think about that. I'm 24 right now. And I've spoken to my friends who are 24, who have undergrads and master's degrees, who have been sitting at home for the last two years because they can't find jobs. And this was before COVID-19. And they're telling me, sis, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have money to start a business. I don't have the experience to go and, and work in the industry that I want to work in. I don't know anybody who can put me in that industry. But I'm smart. I get A's. I have ambition. I have ideas. But the environment that I'm in is not conducive for me to grow. Something's got to change, man. If it means that we as Zimbabweans who are in the diaspora need to come together and figure something out together to help people who are back home, we need to get onto that now. If there's something that this country, Zimbabwe, has taught me, is that we can't continue to rely on anybody but ourselves. I think part of being 
a great entrepreneur is knowing that sometimes the change that you want to see is made by you. I'm so happy when I see activists who are my age, who are standing up for what they believe in and risking their lives for my future, for my children's future. And don't get it twisted. I'm moving back home at some point. Zimbabwe, no matter what happens, will always be my home. No matter where I move to, Zimbabwe will always be my home. But I want to make sure that when I move back home, I'm getting a Zimbabwe that benefits not just me, but for generations to come. We can't continue to make the same mistakes year in and year out and expect different results. That's foolishness. The problem isn't one person. The problem is the institution. Corruption isn't being done just by ministers. Corruption isn't being done just by the police or the army. Corruption, if you really look at it, is happening in every single sector that we have in Zimbabwe. And so if we want change, and change that's going to stay forever, we need to sit down and really think about what it is that we want for Zimbabwe. And that's going to make us uncomfortable. We've grown up, a lot of us anyways, have grown up knowing a country that thrives off of corruption. For you to get a job, you need to know somebody who knows somebody who will get you a job some way. <laughs> For you to get, if you get stopped by the police, you have to pay somebody to pay you something. Give them a nice little tip and they'll let you go. For you to get your child a place in a good school, sometimes you have to pay for it. In every sector within our country, there's corruption. Are we ready to live a life where we need to pay taxes? diligently and honestly? Are we ready to be in a country where there is accountability, not just for the people in power, but for the citizens as well? I don't say this to push the blame on us because, listen, we can play the blame game and everybody has someone that they can blame. But I think we need to think about the, the presidency in a more holistic point of view. When Mugabe left power, we celebrated. And we rejoiced that there was someone else 
who could take over, who could fix things, and we were sold a dream. We missed the plot. Mugabe left and things got worse. So it's not about who is president. It's not, yes, for sure. The person who's president calls a lot of shots. But when we look at corruption and we really track the roots of corruption and, and how far they spread and how deep they go, we will realize that it's so much bigger than it looks on the surface. I am a proud Zimbabwean and I love my country far more than I can even explain or fathom. And it breaks my heart to know that we're not operating at a capacity that helps the people who are working so hard for the country. It breaks my heart to know that there are kids who won't be going to school for the next year or two years, not because they couldn't afford to go to school, which is, a poss- which is definitely happening right now, but because they're not going to have parents to support them or have the means in which to even get to the school with the way the prices are set up for gas uniforms It breaks my heart what's going on in Zimbabwe. And I want more people to be aware of what's going on around the world. I could be doing better in just being educated about what's happening everywhere. And I'm not saying be passionate and be well-versed about everything in the whole world. Pick a, pick a place. Pick a topic. And read about it. Educate yourself about it. Advocate for people. Zimbabwe needs more advocates. We need more allies. We need more voices making people accountable because us as the people within the country can't do that. We don't have that level of freedom of speech. Every time you talk you're putting yourself at the risk and at the mercy of somebody else. This is why it's so important that the rest of the world knows what's going on but does something about it. It's not about just implementing sanctions because the the sad thing about sanctions is that the people who are in power, are not affected by them as much as the people who are at the bottom. If you put Zimbabwe in a position where you're crippling them financially, you're not just crippling the government. You're not just crippling the people who can't travel. You're crippling the people of the country. 
because I want to ask you, as a Zimbabwean, what can we be doing to make sure that this doesn't carry on into the next generation of people? What can we do? What can we actively do to make sure that even when we do decide to move back home, if we decide to move back home, we're going there and having a better life. We have access to health care, access to good education for our children and our cousins and our aunties and our uncles. We have access to good roads. And most importantly, people have the capacity and the freedom to be financially free. We cannot continue to sit down and wait for people to come and fix the problem for us. We need to get to a point where we as the people of Zimbabwe can come up with our own solutions because at this point, we know that we can't count on whatever is going on right now in Zimbabwe. We can't count on the government. That's the reality on the ground. Even if by some chance we are able to get the current office out of the office right now, we have a very long way to go before a lot of people have access to anything. Despite COVID, even if there wasn't any COVID situation happening, people still need to get paid. And I don't think there is enough resource or uh, finances or funding within Zimbabwe at the moment to where we can start and just be okay. So I think we really need to think about what it is as people of the country that we could be doing ourselves to make sure we as Zimbabwe are transitioning into a better future, not just for ourselves, but for our children and our children's children, and to make sure that we don't continue to make the same mistakes over and over again. Let's think about that. If we're saying we need investors, we have a lot of Zimbabweans who run very successful companies abroad who could invest within Zimbabwe. You know the country, you know the people, you know the language, you know the ins and outs, so at least you can learn them. Invest back into the country. We need to stop being reliant on the government and the people in power and make change for ourselves. That's, that's true empowerment is realizing, for me anyways, is realizing that when it really comes to it, you have more power to get things done than waiting for somebody else to do them for you. I want to have a call, like a debate down below. Let's talk about this. You don't have to agree with everything I'm saying. But it's important that we continue the conversation. And we continue talk about talking about it. And we continue acting upon it. And for my counterparts who might not be from Zimbabwe, you might be wondering, so what can you do to help Zimbabwe? The first thing you could do is to amplify the voices of Zimbabwean activists, both within the country and internationally. So if you think this podcast was informative, share it with a friend, with an uncle, with an auntie. Um, I'm going to link some articles and some people who are activists who know a lot more than I do about this area. And I would highly recommend that if you can, you share them. Um, but don't just share without understanding 
read their content, understand what they're talking about, and share with knowledge and not just sharing for sharing. The second thing is share the news and stories about Zimbabwe on your social media platforms. Again, it's not about just sharing. It's about making sure that you understand why you're sharing it before you share it. The third thing is to stay educated and up to date with the news about Zimbabwe. I think this is more for Zimbabweans um, because I think once you, especially the ones who are like in the diaspora, once you're out here in the diaspora, a lot of us are almost, we forget that we have a home um, that we belong to and we start concentrating on the news for where we live in right now and forget that we have a country that's ours that still has things that's going on and needs our help and needs our support and needs our love. Um, and the fourth thing is that you can sign partitions and donate to organizations in Zimbabwe or organizations that are fighting for freedom for people or justice for people. We have a lot of people who were arrested this last weekend, uh, who need money for bail, who might need your support if you can financially. Um, if you can't support financially, share it. Um, you might have people in your circle who are able to provide um, that support. We all have a part that we can play. And we all need to make sure we're being part of the change and being part of the solution and not about just being vessels for manipulation or complaining. Let's be vessels for change. It breaks my heart what's going on. And as I conclude this podcast, I want to ask you this too. How are you contributing to the narrative of not just your country, but other countries and other nations around you? A lot of us are quick to jump on to refugees and jump on to international students and jump on to, you know, marginalized groups within our community. What can you do to make sure that when they do come here, they don't experience the same fear and the same frustration and the same uncertainty that they did when they were in their country? A lot of people don't move here because they want to. No, don't get me wrong. There are definitely people who move here because they want to move here. But there's a large demographic of people who move because they have to. And it's a life and death thing. And for some, it's war. For some, it's famine. For some, it's abuse. What can you do to make sure those people feel safe? We have come to the end of the podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening to a Fuzzle Productions podcast. Please feel free to follow us on our social media at Fuzzle Productions. That is F-A-D-Z-O-P-R-O-D-U-C-T-I-O-N-S. And feel free to check us out on our website, which is www.fuzzlemediaproductions.com. 
com and you can find other content that we have including our youtube channel and our blog and most specifically you can find information on where you can donate your money to if you are willing and able to donate to um causes that have to do with zimbabwe um i have been your host robo fazo susanna beverly mungwari and now i want you to go out there and live your best life as i leave though i am going to be leaving you with a song by an amazing artist called jay from zimbabwe who happens to be my little brother and the song is called a float i hope you enjoy it thank you so much have a blessed day bye-bye we are monitoring the situation we are also we condemn in the strongest terms all those who are destroying property and burning property and uh people who apprehended and arrested for committing such unlawful acts and uh, those who are causing um that disorder the conduct only have themselves to blame streets litter the body eyes well up to close my heart's been burned to the bone streets litter with bodies eyes well up to my heart's been burned with the motion Matter of fact, I'm the one you're killing with these choices that you're making. I'm the one that's carrying these heavy loads and burdens. Cause you say, you want chop, belly food. But you don't even care what your own brother do. Depression got me on my knees. And I ain't talking about emotions, it's about the economy. Yeah, we've been battered and bruised, and this ain't gold around our necks, we've been tied to the noose. You got a gun to my head, and then you calling for truth. Tell me then, what am I supposed to do? All for the crown, you with a suffer or you drown. Got my people on a wave of drugs just to stay afloat. But the gods say we're losing hope. I to prefer to the word of God, so I don't All for the crown, you with a suffer or you drown. Got my people on a wave of drugs just to stay afloat. But the gods say we're losing hope. Had to refer to the word of God so I don't use Streets littered with bodies, eyes well up to My heart's been burned with emotion, changes long overdue. Streets littered with bodies, eyes well up to My heart's been burned with emotion, changes long overdue.